Welcome to Screen Thoughts with Hollister and O'Toole. We saw Tim's Vermeer together at the Hampton Film Festival two years ago, and we wanted to talk about it today because both O'Toole and I think it's a movie that shouldn't be missed. I think also it's great from so many, many, many different areas, but I think I think teenagers should see this movie, and certainly art history majors should see this movie. And I think uh, the whole planet should see this exactly. movie. Exactly. I really, I mean, this was such a tremendous surprise because um, as we were choosing our slate of films to go check out, which means, um, by the way, I, we go to we go to film festivals together. And I would be Hollister, and I went to the University of Nebraska, and I'm a little lazy. And then we have a little Harvard girl over there who picks out all the films that we go to, and she's always right, and I never question Well, the great anything. thing is we're both total film addicts. <laughs> and this is one where I thought the trailer, um, good as it was, did not convey how fantastic uh, this movie was. Uh-huh. Um, because I think if you just read the synopsis, you might think it could be a little dry. And yet I found it fascinating to watch and play out and... Um, it's about an inventor, Tim Jennison from Texas. And um, correct me if I'm wrong, but he had invented some kind of special camera that they use on the sets of TV. He was, um, he is an inventor, not an artist. He was always taken by the works of the great Dutch masters, such as Vermeer. And he had a theory that Vermeer might have used what would have been the equivalent of a camera today then. So he sets out on a very long, arduous road to prove his theory. He does. And he brings it his, and the person who funded him doing that, or I, I think maybe he really didn't fund him because I don't think he needed the funding, but um, who's the magician? Penn. Yeah, Penn of Penn and Teller. Mm-hmm. And I almost didn't want to go to this movie because I can't stand Penn and Teller. Oh, really? I've yeah. never seen them before. Well, yeah, you have on the West Wing. <laughs> Oh, wow, maybe yeah, they made me they're disappear. the ones who who burned the, the American flag in the oh. White House. Yeah, <gasps> yeah, you're absolutely, absolutely. Oh my goodness, your West Wing knowledge that's the, runs well, that's deep, the, deep, deep. That's the only time I have seen them, but it's just something about him that irritates me. And I and you know I I don't think anybody's allowed to not speak, and oh. um, Teller doesn't speak. But at any rate, so Penn is I, I'm not sure what he's doing in the film other than giving it fame credibility because he's a name that's known, and I think the only purpose of him being in Tim's Vermeer is because people will recognize his picture. And um, and he was a producer, so yeah, it's possible well, he funded exactly. it. But I, I thought that was a funny line at the beginning of the movie where Penn was talking about how Tim Jennison approached him and said, I have this theory, and I believe that Vermeer used a set of mirrors to create these images on canvas. And Penn said, you know, I'm a magician, and my parents were artists, or at least his mother was. He goes, and because I'm a magician, the use of mirrors was not unknown to me. And then he hesitated and said, you know, I hope that's not a surprise to anybody out there who goes to magic shows. Um, but, yes. What, what's, great, what's great about this is, and I can't explain to you the process that, that uh, they think is being used in this. I mean, it was way over my head, although um, I actually reviewed this for a blog, and, um, and O'Toole helped me put together <laughs> in describing it. Uh, I'm not sure I could describe it any better. I mean, I am not one known for technical prowess. Okay, but what you know, but there's all these like circumstantial evidence pieces that make it add up. Like they've never found a sketchbook for that's you know right. for his work, and so, all the other masters during that time had sketchbooks and practiced. And and everybody always talked about the hyper realism of the Dutch painters compared right. to the Italians of the time. There was never example. a pencil mark on any. They've that's done right. X rays, and so he's the only one who didn't pencil in first. And 
And, and as this unfolds, you begin to see that it's probably true. And then what I loved about it was the man was a cheater. <laughs> Look, you know, he was a cheater. He cheated. Nobody knew he was doing it. He didn't tell anybody he was doing it, which is what makes you a cheater. If you tell somebody you're doing something, it's sort of like, you know, I cheat at... Um, well, I cheat at Monopoly. Well, you're not a cheater now. You just told us you do it. Well, exactly. So when you're in the middle of playing and you say, by the way, I'm cheating, and if you can figure out how, then you're going to be able to play equally, you know, you, you know, if you're, you know, a cheater that way. But he actually was pulling the wool over people's eyes. And if you look at the huge success that he had as a painter, um, it's amazing that he got away with it, especially because he had to do certain things. Like he did paint some outside scenes where he would have had to build something in order to do that. Well, um, I can't speak to, you know, what Vermeer might have said hundreds of years ago, but I remember Tim Jennison addressed that point in the Q&A, and he said, the artwork, the final product itself is no different. Um, You know, and we would all agree today that the photography of Annie Leibovitz, for example, um, you know, it's no less artistic because she uses a camera as opposed to painting someone's portrait. Um, But even so, I was so taken with how arduous a process it was to actually pull this off. So, you know, in the beginning of the movie where he showed that a tableau would be set up and he went to such lengths, he created the tools that he used to make the furniture that he put in the tableau to completely recreate a Vermeer, which is the originals hanging in Buckingham Palace. Right, belonging you know, to the queen so who you, the you queen. seem to like a lot, but I don't. And once again, she turned them down. He asked to go in and see it, saying what he was going to do, and she said no. And then when it was clear she was going to get bad publicity around it, she said, okay, you can go in for a half an hour, but you can't take anything. No cameras. You can t- No, forget mm. the camera. He wasn't even allowed to take a sketchbook. No sketchbook, yeah. He wasn't but, allowed to do anything but stare at it for half an hour and then leave. But I do stood outside the I do want to read the, the paragraph that, um, that O'Toole wrote that um, oh. was in my blog, because it does explain the process, because it's really part of what's so important. None of Vermeer's sketchbooks have ever been found, nor have x-rays of Vermeer paintings revealed any pencil marks underneath the paint. Intrigued by this fact, Jennison reasoned that Vermeer must have used a camera obscura, the 17th century equivalent of a camera, to obtain this hyper-realistic look. As the film points out, camera obscura literally means darkroom. To test out his theory and limiting himself to objects and pigments that would have existed in Vermeer's day, Jennison positioned a mirror on a stick, placing the mirror at an angle to reflect the image to be painted onto his tablet. To match the color of the reflected image exactly, Jennison continually kept his eye on the edge of the mirror, looking between the mirror and the reflected image he was painting. If the color he was using was too dark or too light, the edge of the mirror was visible to his eye. But once he mixed his colors to match exactly, the edge of the mirror seemed to disappear, his eye in the mirror functioning as a sort of photo sensor. It was an incredibly painstaking paint-by-numbers process, but one that yielded uncanny results. The light is the uncanny result. And Vermeer is known for his light. And when you see how, when you watch this man paint on it, Mm -hmm. you know, plus there's, can I just say, there's the best humorous moment when his daughter's home from college and he pays her to sit and be, when he's doing the young woman, the piano player. model. 
mm-hmm. to model in the painting, and she's she's modeling the painting, and then you see a picture of it, and then she's got her de- can of Diet, Diet Coke, Coke. Is while sitting. she's in a neck brace, <laughs> so she doesn't move, move an at all. inch exactly. Mm-hmm. It's just very, it's just so perfect. And he's got her hair up in the ringlets, yeah. and she's wearing the period clothing, and he said something like, "No college student in the history of American universities has ever been ex- so excited to return to college after spring break." You <laughs> it's know? very cleverly done. It's mm-hmm. so worth. It's so worth the go. Mm-hmm. It's so worth being there. And um, I, I hope that everybody goes to see it and also to recognize that bringing things that, you know, took maybe another hundred years to really become, um, you know, become what they were. It's one of the great scientific explorations of what can be done now that will be seen later as, you know, amazing. It's true. And I love that scene where he first tests out his theory on something small. So he takes that photograph of, I think it was his father-in-law, and he sets up the mirrors, and he shows that he can get an incredible likeness. And he, do you remember he, he invited over one of his friends who had been an artist his entire life? And he goes, you know, I just did this in a couple hours. And the friend looks at this incredible reproduction. And he says, well, good for you. I've been at this 30 years. And, you know, the fact that they got David Hockney to be part of this documentary said you cannot tell the difference between this and the original Vermeer. Hockney was blown away. And when you blow away, away. you know, somebody who's, you know, as amazing as Hockney. But Hockney had actually written on the topic, which is why they went to show it to him. He actually had wondered about Vermeer earlier than than Tim even did. And the other thing, and, you know, I'm going to end with this on my end, is um, I admire anybody who, who attacks a problem and then spends mm-hmm. two years, granted he had the financial freedom to do so, spends two years spending eight hours a day sitting in a box mm-hmm. dabbling paint, and he never, ever gave up. At one point he does cry and wants to give up, but he never <laughs> gave up. Mm-hmm. And I, I just have the greatest of admiration for him even trying, let alone the fact that he succeeded. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I think he wanted to see if he could do it. The painting itself hangs in his bedroom, um, you know, in a place of honor above a, a fireplace. And I thought to myself, every time he looks at it, he's got to see two years of his life involved mm-hmm. in this project. And I wish I had that kind of tenacity and uh, lack of ADDism that <laughs> that brought him to that. Well done. Well done. You know, I totally, totally concur. That's that level of stick with itness, as you say, especially in this modern era where we're so used to a quick fix you know, Instagram and, you know... He could have done four inches and people would have said it worked. Mm -hmm. The fact that he made himself finish the painting... And mixed his own paints and built his own furniture and recorded himself with eight different cameras every single day. And then the level of editing that needed to take place. I don't know um, if he did the editing. Did they bring um, in an editor? No, but he set up the cameras. They brought in an editor. Um, A tremendous documentary. Definitely check it out on Netflix. Yep. Tim's Tim's Vermeer. Vermeer. (laughs) Woohoo!